turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to today's podcast, sponsored by Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. I encourage you to take advantage of the many free online courses there. And, of course, to listen to the Hillsdale Dialogues, all of them at Q for hillsdale.com, or just Google Apple, iTunes, and Hillsdale. Morning, glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt, live in the relieffactor.com studio west, where it's raining again. I can't believe this. It's raining. We had more rain in February of 2024 in the first eight days than we did in all of February 2023. And that was one of the wettest Februarys on record. It's just crazy. Wherever I go, it just rains. But that's fine. Joe Bifstick. If you're old enough, you'll know the little Abner reference. Very bad day for Hamas yesterday. Very bad day for the border bill yesterday. Very bad day for Tony Blinken and Joe Biden yesterday. Let me start with Hamas. Times of Israel reporting that the IDF troops just uh, caught and killed dozens of Hamas gunmen yesterday, including a few who participated in the massacre of 10-7. Good news. Good news that. Fewer and fewer Hamas fighters mean more and more Hamas fighters die the next day. And that's what needs to happen. But then, incredibly, Tony Blinken goes to Israel and says that Israel does not have a license to, quote, dehumanize others. That's right. In a, this is, I'm reading from the Times of Israel. In a stinging rebuke of Jerusalem's prosecution of the war against Hamas in Gaza, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on Wednesday warned Israel it does not have a, quote, license to, to dehumanize others. Let's listen to the Secretary of State sell out Israel in real time from Israel as he reels from a Politico story that called him too nice to have this job. Here's Anthony Blinken, cut number two. Israelis were dehumanized in the most horrific way on October 7th. The hostages have been dehumanized every day since. But that cannot be a license to dehumanize others. The overwhelming majority of people in Gaza had nothing to do with the attacks of October 7th. And the families in Gaza whose survival depends on deliveries of aid from Israel are just like our families. Their mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, want to earn a decent living, send their kids to school, have a normal life. That's who they are. That's what they want. And we cannot, we must not lose sight of that. We cannot, we must not lose sight of our common humanity. What does it even mean for Israel to dehumanize people in Gaza? Uh, Michael Oren is coming on later, and he's already blasted Blinken. And every supporter of Israel in the United States should blast Blinken. Israel is not dehumanizing anyone. Israel is killing Hamas terrorists. They are doing their best, more than any other nation that's ever been involved in a major conflict has done, to save civilians. Have you ever heard Anthony Blinken say, Xi Jinping must not dehumanize the Uyghurs? Have you ever heard him say that? No. 
Because the only people that this administration pushes around or tries to are the Jewish state Israel. And it is remarkable to me that they have the chutzpah to do this. So a very bad day for Blinken. Very bad day for the border bill. Oh, my gosh. It died quickly and ugly, and it was terrible. Very bad day for a key militia leader in Iraq. Uh, one of the cat paws of Iran got taken out by a drone from the United States. Uh, Michael John- uh, um, Speaker Johnson had a bad day two days ago, but yesterday everyone spent celebrating that he had a bad day. I got a call from CNN. Would I like to come on and talk about the Republicans? I said, sure, because Erin Burnett is a pro, and I knew she would give me a chance to state the reality of the situation. So I did that last night on CNN. Uh, I rarely do TV anymore because I get up so early that by 7 o'clock I'm shot. But I stayed up for Erin, voice a little bit impaired. But I wanted to hear, to hear the real take of what's going on. Let's roll that. Right, that was Congressman Gallagher there that you heard on the Hugh Hewitt show today. And Hugh is with me now. So, Hugh, you know, it, it's like uh, Gallagher said, uh, we didn't need to embarrass ourselves is the quote, right, that, that he said to you. And yet that that's what happened. Uh, the, the count was wrong. How bad does this yeah. make Republicans look and the new speaker? Well, they got head faked. They thought Congressman Green was not going to come in with a Democratic yes vote and they were going to successfully impeach uh, Secretary Mayorkas. But they got head faked. And Mike Gallagher and Tom McClintock are very serious guys and they're not going to change their vote. Ken Buck's kind of off on his own trail somewhere doing his own thing. But the Republicans only have a four vote majority and Majority Leader Scalise was missing. So they were surprised. It is embarrassing. It is not the end of the world for Republicans. I think if the supplemental that is expected to pass the Senate tonight with aid for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, the United States defense industry does not get through the House, that will be a substantive defeat that will leave a lasting mark. All right. But do you see that getting through? I mean, you know, there had been the whole you got to put it all together, you know, the border with the foreign aid. And if you don't do that, we won't do anything. And now it's you got to put them separate or we won't do anything. So just putting aside the the, 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 the confusion and the bizarreness of that, uh, you know, putting Ukraine in with Israel. I mean, do you do you have any confidence that a bill like that's going to go through? going to be close. I think Speaker Johnson's going to have to take a deep breath and seek support from Democrats because there are more than a handful of Republicans who oppose additional aid to Ukraine. But the, the GOP is traditionally the party of national security, and I think they will eventually pass this. I do want to correct one thing, Aaron, at least give you my perspective. Yeah. The border bill uh, or the border legislation is not a fiasco. They asked James Lankford to go and get the best deal that he could. He did that. He brought it back. There was no border wall, and there were a number of other things in it that simply the Republican caucus could not go for. So the Democrats made their best offer. James Lankford made counters, tried to get the best deal he could, brought back the best that he could get. And the Republicans said, not even close, not going to go. So now we're back to just the foreign aid, and I hope it passes. All right, but when you hear, you know, some Republicans saying, as they have, and maybe it was in the the height of the emotion after that border bill, after all this work, and and a very serious senior conservative Senator Langford putting his reputation and time on the line to do it, uh, now saying that that this is going to hurt Republicans in swing races and that they deserve it, do you think that will not be the case when it actually comes to election? No, I don't. I don't think that is going to be the case. Uh, Senator Langford, there's probably no one as admired as Senator Langford. Everybody loves him, and he is a genuine, hardcore conservative. But what he brought back wasn't good enough. What matters are facts. And in the first three years, 
of President Biden's presidency, eight million people across the southwestern border uninvited. He has not finished the wall. He has not maintained the wall. And we don't even know how many people got over that were not encountered. So the border fiasco, the open border, is still the Biden problem. In fact, tonight's New York Times has a story on over on tomorrow's paper. The number of aides that have been dispatched by Team Biden to Michigan to try and stop an embarrassment up there because he's losing ground in Michigan. And Tony Blinken basically backpedaled on support for Israel today. So all of the problems are not Republican problems. Both parties have their problems heading into the, the fall race. All right, Hugh Hewitt, I appreciate that. And so uh, I appreciate that Aaron gave me the chance to set the record straight. It wasn't a great day when the Republican whips did not have the right count. And they thought Scalise could take the day off. And, and Steve Scalise is in therapy, and I assume it is for both his cancer and his uh, wounds that continue from, I believe Steve Scalise has cancer, I'm not sure. But I know he was wounded badly in the attack on the softball field by the Bernie Sanders nutter, uh, the guy who supported Sanders and tried to kill all of the congressmen from the Republican baseball team. So he's still working through that. So he was not there. He's doing therapy. And they had a head count. They knew they were going to lose McClintock, Gallagher, and Buck. They had whipped the vote. They knew they had they, they lost three. You can only lose four. But they had counted on one Democrat who was hospitalized not showing up, and he did show up. And so that threw a wrench in the monkey works. And so I'm not a big fan of impeaching my orcas, but it's also uh, something the party wants to get done. So fine. And more important by far is that the now stripped down national security bill passed. I'm going to talk to Senator Dan Sullivan, who had retired from the United States Marine Corps as a colonel yesterday in the reserves. I'm going to talk with Senator Sullivan later in the program. In my new Fox News column, and I've posted a couple of links over at X, and you can find it over at Fox News, the opinion section. It's always top on Tuesdays and Thursdays, morning glory. It was an extended appeal to the Republican Party to vote for the supplemental, which includes all the aid for Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and the American defense and industrial base. We need to pass that bill. Peace through strength. I don't want to go into any more wars. Trump kept us out of wars for four years. As soon as Joe Biden came in, Afghanistan collapsed. Putin invaded Ukraine. Uh, Israel is the subject of a massacre. Iran begins a war against us wherever they can find American troops. It's all because Joe Biden is weak and infirm. Last night on two occasions, no recording of it, just reporting of it all over the place. He referred to Angela Merkel as Helmut Kohl. I mean, the guy is really losing it now. It's, he doesn't have dementia. He's just so infirm that his 8-track tapes are skipping. And if you're old enough to remember what an 8-track tape is and when it would skip, it was time to throw that 8-track tape away. We don't want to throw away President Biden, but he ought to retire and get the heck out of the way because he cannot run this country when he sends his Secretary of State to Israel to yell at Israel for dehumanizing Hamas. That is crazy. I'll be right back, America. Stay tuned on Hugh Hewitt. Morning, Glory, America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt live from California, where a local story is a national story. The search continues for a Marine Corps helicopter and its crew of five gone missing in the mountains east of San Diego in heavy snow. We'll keep you posted on that. I'm joined by a Marine now, Senator Dan Sullivan, United States Marine Corps, retired this week after, I believe, 30 years of service. Before we go to anything else, thank you for that, Senator. Uh, was it 30 years? Did you do the full 30? Uh, yes, sir. Hugh, good morning. And uh, got to pray for those Marines. Um, hopefully we're going to find them alive. But yes, full 30, over 30, you know, honor of a lifetime for sure. I'm a 
infantry officer and recon officer and, you know, uh, but, but, you know with. I'm interested in when you decided to join, where you joined, when you ended up at OCS. I mean, you're, you're originally from Ohio. You've been Alaskan for decades and decades and a great senator. But when did the light go on that you wanted to be a Marine Corps officer? You know, I was thinking about it in college, and then I was actually in grad school. And the, believe it or not, I'm, I'm old enough. The first Gulf War was happening, and I went to go join during that war. My father served in the Navy. Um, he called me, gave me some great advice, saying, "Hey, uh, if you if you sign up now, you're going to miss the war. The war is going to be over in six months." He was totally correct about that. And you won't finish uh, your graduate school, so wait till you finish, then go. So I took my dad's advice and then joined. I was an infantry officer and recon officer for 30 years. I will tell you this, uh, like I said, had the opportunity to lead, train, deploy with infantry Marines, recon Marines. I commanded an Anglico unit, MARSOC Marines, um, anti-terrorism Marines. But the Marines... uh, in this retirement ceremony, I was very honored that they they didn't focus on me, which was great. They focused on my wife and my three daughters, which was really, really special. I had guys I deployed with 25 years ago who came out for this uh, retirement ceremony. It was a big honor, but they kept it focused on the, you know, people who don't get a lot of the recognition, and that's the families that support men and women in the military, and the Marines uh, honored my wife and daughters in a huge way, so it was you know, my daughter's a mill spouse, and my son is married to a mill spouse, and they're on active duty, as is my nephew's married. No one ever pays attention to the mill spouses. And I got to tell you, Senator, uh, they're all officers, but the enlisted men pay is way too low, and the BAHs are just ridiculous. I don't know if you can get that fixed. It's just ridiculous. I, I, I couldn't agree more, Hugh. And look, you know, one of the things I'm going to miss, and by the way, I mean, I'll just admit it here, I didn't get selected for Brigadier General, one-star general, so... If, if you're not a one-star, by the time you hit 30, you uh, get uh, shown the door, right? <laughs> so uh, so I got shown the door by, by, my, by, by my beloved Marine Corps. But um, I'm going to stay. As you know, I'm very, very, very focused on these, these issues, like the ones you just mentioned. As you know, also in the Marines, you know, what makes the Marine Corps great is not the generals or, you know, it's the sergeants, right? The yep. NCOs, the best NCO Corps on the planet Earth. And the Marines have always been about tough sergeants who make the Corps great. And uh, I'm going to miss it. But as I told the Marines, I'm not far away. I'm going to be on the Armed Services Committee breathing down their neck on other issues, like the one you just mentioned. Let's just go to that now, because we've just established you know what you're talking about on national security. He's also a veteran of the National Security Council and has been involved in national security issues outside of the core for as long as he's been in the Senate. Senator, I want the supplemental to pass. The border bill was bad. It didn't have defense in it. Uh, James did the best he could. Senator Lankford, Democrats wouldn't give us the wall, so it died. Now we're down to aid to Israel, Taiwan, Ukraine, and our defense and industrial base. It should pass. Will it pass? Yeah, look, we're working through the amendment process right now, the votes that we'll have with regard to... um amendments as part of the national security bill that does not include the border. You know, I agree. James Langford, by the way, is a great conservative. He's taken a lot of incoming. I agree with you, Hugh. It didn't go far enough, but it wasn't because of him. He, he fought his, he tried, Yeah, he, he tried. So, you know, let's uh, let the, the, the spears that are coming in for the great conservative center from 
Oklahoma James Langford, I think, are not uh, warranted. But to your point, look, I made the pitch yesterday to my, my conference colleagues. This is a bill that actually should unify us, right, the rest of the supplemental. Why is that? Not on everything, but let me just mention a few things. It should unify Republicans across the board. First, very, very dangerous time. Authoritarians are on the march. They're all working together. Xi Jinping, Putin, the Ayatollahs in Iran, uh, Kim Jong-un. They're, they're all working together. This is like 1930s danger in terms of what we're seeing internationally. Second, the industrial base of America, the ability to protect ourselves, to produce weapons, everything from submarines to 155-millimeter howitzer rounds, has atrophied in a dangerous way. And I told my colleagues, look, if you don't believe that, then hell, don't vote for this thing. But that is also a fact. Third, the components of this um, legislation, particularly on Taiwan and Israel, which generally uh, unifies Republicans, is really, really strong, much stronger than what Biden set up. As you know, I was very focused on the Taiwan piece. We got pretty much almost everything we wanted, including plussing up the training for the Taiwan military. And finally, and this is really important, you just mentioned it, this is a gigantic investment in our military industrial base. You know, I keep saying this shouldn't be named Ukraine. This should be named the National Security Industrial Base Renaissance Bill. Amen. Almost almost $50 billion that go directly into our capacity to produce everything from submarines to howitzer rounds. And here's the thing, Hugh, and you know this. You can't do that when the bullets start flying, right? If we got a fight in the Taiwan Strait, now's the time to start building up our industrial capacity, not when that fight starts. So, look, it's not a perfect bill. By the way, Susan Collins also deserves a lot of credit because she negotiated a lot of this. There's still some things in there I'm going to try and get stripped out. You know, I, I've been saying direct budget support for Ukraine. That should be done by the Europeans, not us. Let us focus on lethal weapons. But this is an industrial base bill. And if you don't believe that our industrial base to defend America has atrophied, you're not paying attention. Yeah, I so. spend a lot of time in Maine, and I think both Susan Collins and Angus King are great on defense. And I'm glad that she did that. But I want to take on Ukraine head on. I hope your amendment passes. If it doesn't, I would still support it. Because while Zelensky and Ukraine may not be able to win, they could lose. And if they lose to Putin, that is a disaster for the West. And it brings us so much closer to a NATO conflict. Do you agree or disagree with that assessment? Not only I, I, I fully agree with that. Right. And, you know, then then you do have the issue of troops. American troops involved, which they have not been. But here's the other issue that I think is really important, and I've raised this a lot. You know, some of my colleagues are saying, well, we can let we can let the Ukraine, you know, uh, fend for themselves and if Putin rolls, don't worry, because we'll still be really strong in Taiwan. And my counter to that is like, look, the world doesn't work that way. Uh, deterrence and credibility are not divisible. You can't say, hey, don't worry, I'm going to be weak here, but I'm going to be really strong uh, in other parts of the world. These things are all connected. How do we know? We know because we've seen this movie before. What happened with Biden's botched 
withdrawal from Afghanistan, many of us, many of us, myself included, you I know did, we predicted, okay, stand by, world, that uh, debacle is going to unleash authoritarians testing us in other parts of the globe, which is exactly what happened. So the idea that somehow, you know, even if you don't care about Ukraine, I have colleagues saying, well, I don't care that much about Ukraine, but I really care about Taiwan. They're connected, and um, and we've learned that by watching the failure of the Biden administration and the weakness that exudes from this White House, which is why we got chaos all over the world. So a quick exit question, Colonel. I'm going to call you Colonel now, not Senator, because I think you probably yeah, you prefer Colonel. Yeah, you call me Colonel. Colonel. I did say, and look, no offense to my Senate colleagues, but I said in, in my remarks, uh, you know, the title Marine, with the exception of husband and father, the title Marine is the the uh, you know, achievement I'm most proud of so, uh, so far, always has been, always will be. It is terrific, uh, and, and I do appreciate it. But Colonel Sullivan, Mike Johnson is going to have to take a vote, which may cost him the speakership, because he's got the knucklehead caucus, and they hate Ukraine, and they don't want any money. It'll pass the House if he takes it directly there, but he might lose his gavel. What do you say to him? 20 seconds, Senator. Well, look, I, I think the speaker's doing a good job in a tough political circumstance. Whenever he's come over to brief the Senate, he's been very strong on all of these issues. Industrial base, uh, Taiwan, Israel, and yes, Ukraine. So this is the legislation that will get to those things. So this is a moment that matters uh, for a lot of reasons, Hugh. And I think um, I have faith that if this passes here, the speaker will bring it up and I think he'll show he's strong. I hope you're right. I think he should, too. Colonel Sullivan, Senator Sullivan, thank you. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I've spent most of the show deprogramming you who watch CNN and MSNBC or the networks over the last few weeks, except Fox. Uh, Now we've got Jim Talent, former senator from Missouri here, to tell us what's going to happen in the Senate when they bring up the new national security supplemental stripped of all the border provisions. What do you think is going to happen, Senator? What do you want to have happen? Oh, I think it's going to pass you. And I think eventually it will pass the House because I think it's in the interest of the United States to support those countries that are opposing our adversaries, whether it's Ukraine against Russia or Israel against Iran or Taiwan against China. Now, it is. I think it'll happen. It is almost certain that if Mike Johnson, the speaker, brings that to the floor, a motion to vacate will be brought against him. So it's been threatened by Marjorie Taylor Greene. There are a handful of anti-Ukraine people, and I don't really understand the reasons, but they're out there. Do you think Johnson will stare that down and bring it to the floor? Yeah, I think he's going to have to, because remember, if if he this goes back to the fact that that McCarthy agreed to allow one person to move to vacate the chair process really matters in Washington. But I mean, I think, look, if he doesn't bring it, if, if, if he refuses to bring it because of a handful of people, there is a danger that somebody else will move to vacate the chair. You see what I'm saying? Thank you. I I didn't want to say that. There are national security yeah, people I mean, who are serious, and they will bring the motion to vacate if he does not bring it. Well, look, I, it's not like I've talked to anybody who's threatened that. But if, if you're put in that position, that's a very logical thing to happen, isn't it? And so and besides which, Johnson knows this is a really important, whether you're for it or against it, it's a really important issue. And the House ought to be allowed to vote. Now, maybe he'll try and bring it up on the suspension calendar. 
I think it might get two thirds. I think it uh, would. If they move to vacate. I do. Look, I, uh, as Newt Gingrich used to say, a problem you can't do anything about is just a fact. OK, ha! so the fact of the matter is, yeah, the fact of the matter is that this, in a narrowly divided house and with the rules the way they are, whoever is the speaker is going to be skating on thin ice for the next 10 or 11 months until the next election. So you might as well just go ahead and make the obvious calls. And I think Johnson will do that. He'll probably negotiate a while and, and see what other alternatives are out there. But I think eventually he'll do it. And they might get an amendment. They might amend it and add some controls or do some other things with Ukraine sure. and then send it back. But it's going to get done. Now, I want to go over to the Senate side. Today's vote will be very interesting to me. Uh, I believe the same people who wanted to depose Mitch McConnell in January, there are about 10 of them, are the same people who are mad at him today. And there's still only about 10 of them. And they're good friends of mine. I like them all. But the leader is still the leader. He's still in charge. Why do you think the border bill collapsed? Well, I think no, no, your last uh, no Rothman was right about one thing. You know, a compromise on this is very difficult to achieve because th- there are things the Republicans want to do, which will close the door, the border. And Biden doesn't want to close the border. If he wanted to close the border, the border would be closed. He junked Trump's policies that were doing that. By the way, we had the border pretty much closed, even without the wall completed. And the Democrats don't want that. So what I would have preferred, and I've said this on the show, is that the Republicans say, look, we'll let you bring up the supplemental, but you have to let us offer the amendments we want to offer on the border. Okay, so we're not negotiating for a compromise bill. We're negotiating for a compromise process. We're back to process you. Yeah. You know, we started out on the back foot when we agreed to secrecy in the negotiations. And when we did not make it clear from the beginning, we don't want to sit down with you unless we're going to build the wall. Because, Jim, nine out of 10 Republicans for 15 years have been for a border wall. You can't do a compromise without it. Right. I think that's right. But but there are other things also you that the Republicans wanted that Biden was not going to give them again, because if he wanted to do those things, he would have done them. Okay, so. If we if we I think that 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 strategy would have been better, but we would have eventually reached this point anyway. And we're here now. And so we will get past it. I mean, it's hard when you're in the middle of all this, you the way the members are and the senators are on both sides of the aisle. And the press is that's covering this every day. It's, It's hard to step back and sort of look at the big picture. But we're where we really were always going to be. And I think this will pass. And there are elements of this aid bill that are very controversial on both sides, but I think there are majorities in both parties that will support it. I do, too. Uh, Jim, I want to ask you as well. We got one minute. Uh, President Biden uh, substituted Mitterrand for Macron and last night twice coal for Merkel. Are you alarmed? Well, I've said for well over a year that it's, it's pretty clear to me he's impaired in some way. Now, you, what I will say, since we've now entered the election season firmly, that as a Republican, what I'm going to be talking about is how good things were under Donald Trump, because I'm assuming he's going to be the nominee, and how bad things have gotten under Biden. The people can look at Joe Biden and make their own conclusions about, you know, his 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 physical and mental health. OK, 
But we need to talk about what we can do for the people if they elect uh, our ticket in November. You are correct, as usual, Jim Talent. Follow him on Twitter at Jim Talent. Thank you, Senator. Always a pleasure. Morning, glory, America. Dr. Michael Oren joins me, Hugh Hewitt. I think Dr. Oren is in the United States. I'm never quite sure. Where are you, Ambassador? I'm not quite sure either. I'm in the wonderful, not quite sunny state of Florida. All right. Well, welcome back. Uh, Please do not dehumanize me. Uh, After Secretary Blinken went to Israel yesterday and urged Israel not to dehumanize Gazans, I thought, has Michael Oren been dehumanizing me? I'm actually astonished by this. I read your comments. Would you explain why they are so offensive? Listen, when the uh, representative of the of our greatest ally in the world at the height of a war comes out and dehumanizes us. Okay. You understand what's he saying to the world? Israel is dehumanizing Palestinians. That's the equivalent of saying Israel is guilty of war crimes. And that dehumanizes us. That leads us, lends us, leads us open to charges of, of certainly war crimes. It leads directly to the international court of justice. It basically gives a huge, tailwind to all the protesters out there accusing us of genocide and be all that Hugh, it's it's just not true it's factually untrue it's statistically untrue it is immensely immensely unfair to the brave soldiers of the israeli defense forces who are risking their lives and losing their lives in order to reduce as much as possible civilian casualties it's letting hamas off the hook for using an entire population indeed the entire gaza strip as a human shield um I, I was outraged by it. I was deeply offended by it. And you know, I, I have great affection for Tony Blinken personally. Uh, I think that the administration has done some extraordinary things for Israel in, in supplying ammunition and in opposing a ceasefire. You cannot make a message like that to the world. That That is the equivalent of, of not just pulling the rug out for us or running the bus over us. My God, uh, extremely dangerous, just dangerous. And I want to, uh, I hate to say I told you so. But I have said from the beginning that it was a matter of time until Joe Biden uh, backpedaled. But I did not expect such a blunt and complete reversal of of running, because when you when Secretary Blinken says that you you anticipated my next question, that's going to be in South Africa's next filing at the ICJ. Uh, It's absolutely. And so. Hey, your your own allies say you're committing war crimes. Your own allies say that. Publicly, they say that. Exhibit A. So did anybody in Israel other than you? The Israel's caught in a bind. Uh, you want the $18 billion. America supports you. You appreciate America's efforts. I appreciate Israel's efforts on our behalf. We cooperate. We're allies. But has anyone in the Israeli war cabinet stepped up to rebuke Anthony Blinken as needs happen? No, I, well, Prime Minister Netanyahu said, you know, the, the Hamas is causing the casualties in Gaza, not Israel. And, and factually, he's right. He's not saying what I'm saying is, hey, we don't need the United States of America giving ammo to our to our <laughs> to our enemies. They may be giving us the artillery shells and, and tank shells, but you just gave ammo to those people who are trying to boycott and sanction us, uh, which means that we won't be able to fire that ammo because we won't have the right to self-defense. We won't even have the right to exist. Uh, and that's what happened. That's what you hear. What's, that is what our enemies are saying, that we not only don't have a right to defend ourselves, we don't have a right to exist. And why? Because we're war criminals. Why? Because we're committing genocide. And here, Exhibit A, your own ally says that publicly. 
Now, I am I'm not surprised by this, but I am wondering if Israel was surprised by this. I know what your reaction is. Is your reaction the general reaction within Israel left to right? It was, uh, I don't know. I tell you, the, you know, it's interesting. I do a lot of uh, interviewing during the night on the Israeli press. And I've now had two interviews um, where I tried to uh, adduce a, a statistic. And my interviewer said, well, that's not relevant. And I come back and say, oh, it's super relevant. And the statistic is this. So I, I, tell me if I've repeated myself on this program. Uh, and I've, you know, I've said that. And that is, even if you were to take the Hamas number at face value, which, of course, is ridiculous. Hamas inflates everything because the number of Palestinian dead goes up a thousand every day, literally. Okay, so now it's at 27 or 28,000. Let's even say 28,000 Palestinians dead. It's a horrible, horrible number. Most of them women and children. 10,000 of them are, are children. Hold on to that. Now, Israel has killed 11,000 terrorists. You deduct, you deduct the 11,000 from the 28, you're left with the what? What are you left with? You're left with 17, right? 17,000 um, versus 11,000. 30% of the Palestinian casualties are caused by Palestinian rockets falling short. Deduct another 37, 30% from the 17, you're down to what? 14, 13. So that's 13,000 uh, Palestinian civilian casualties to 11,000 combatant te- te- uh, terrorists, te- combatant casualties. You are a little bit over one to one. In America's wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, it was four civilians to every combatant. Oh, and uh, Dr. Oren, the idea we got one minute, dehumanizing an enemy in a war is a new standard. We did not apply it in World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, Korea. We have never applied dehumanizing as the standard because all war dehumanizes non-combatants, but they are necessary. Do you expect a retraction or an elaboration today from Secretary Blinken? I don't. I do not at all. And uh, I think this is where they are. And, I, you know, again, I was not I was shocked, but not surprised. And I, I felt we were coming to this point and I felt we we're going to come to a point at the very beginning. You know, when, when President Biden gave that wonderful speech on October, on October 8th and Tony Blinken came on the 12th, they said all terrific things supporting us. But they all had that one line. We expect Israel to act in accordance with international humanitarian law. And I thought to myself back then, OK, that's the clock. And, uh, and now the clock has begun to ring. Except it hasn't. America is going to support you. The Republican Party supports Israel. Most of the Democratic Party does. Only foggy Joe Biden and worried Tony Blinken has been called too nice are doing this to you. Dr. Michael Oren, Dr. Michael Oren on X. Thank you. Have a safe travels in the United States. I'll be right back. Want to remind everyone, a great sponsor of the program is MyPhDWeightLoss.com. Generalissimo went on that program more than a year ago, lost 50 pounds. He's kept it off. And uh, stress eating is not allowed, I don't believe, even though we're under a lot of... Uh, sure uh, tempted uh, to this week, aren't we? Uh, everybody is. I, but, but we don't... They, I'm sure they give you tricks of the trade to combat that because that's one of the habits. You broke that habit. You're not going by Del Taco or Taco no. Bell. Have not. No. You haven't relapsed. Have not relapsed. And um, that is a, and it's healthy, it's wise, it's yes. productive. 864-644-1900. That's 864-644-1900. Hugh Hewitt from the ReliefFactor.com studio out west in California where it's raining again. I'm joined from Washington, D.C. by Noah Rothman, senior political writer for National Review. Good morning, Noah. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. I am well, but I am in an undisclosed location in the woods of New Jersey. Oh, good. In the hills. Glad you are out of there. Uh, Noah, let's start with the death of the border bill, about which I was very, very happy because it did not have the wall. It was neither surprising nor uh, uh, unexpected. 
Nevertheless, the media is treating it as a major meltdown among Republicans. It's not. How do you react to its defeat? I'm decidedly less sanguine than you are about this one. Um, There was a lot in there that I liked. There was a lot in there that I didn't like. Why? It was a compromise bill. It was crafted to get 60 votes in the Senate, which is something that no other immigration bill, that's a hardliner bill, like the H.R. 2 in the House, can do. Uh, I like compromises, especially when I see them doing things that I like to see in statute. We needed some statutory reforms. And one of the things, one of the reasons why they did it this way to get this defense appropriations in there, replenish our our arsenal that we're giving to our allies abroad and to uh, establish some border security is because they're all foreign policy challenges. And Republicans needed that to swallow the pill of Ukraine aid. I don't know whether Ukraine aid is going to get through as a is a standalone, which is now apparently what the Senate is going to try. And I think that is an imperative national security priority. The border is a national security priority. Taiwan's national security priority. Gaza and Israel is a national security priority. All of these things to me were in the same bucket. And now that we're going to break them up, I don't know if that's going to be able to pass the Republican House. Republican House said we need it this way or we're not going to do it. Now I don't think they're going to do it. Now, I disagree. I think they will do it because I think Speaker Johnson knows he has to do it because aid to Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan and our own national security is paramount. He might lose his job, but I don't think Mike Johnson cares. I That's think he might I'm actually. Of. And I, do, you think he's, do you think he's willing to do that? Do you think yes. he's going to put this to the floor, let it pass with Democrat votes? Yes. That's what would need. I and do. then sacrifice himself on that altar. I do, because so he's a very good man. And I believe he knows that we are the party of national security, we being Republicans. But I want to go back a little bit to the border bill's demise. There is one thing that nine out of 10 Republicans, and it's been polled again and again and again, nine out of 10 self-identifying Republicans want in a border bill, the wall. They want 900 miles of wall. For whatever reason, Beltway, New York intellectuals and right-wingers do not like the wall. The Wall Street Journal hates the wall. But nine out of 10 Republicans repeatedly poll, we want the wall. They did not put the wall in there. It was doomed, Noah. And I told them that, and everybody I know who talked to them told them that. Senators Langford, Tillis, everybody else, on and off air. No wall, no bill. They didn't put the wall in. What did they expect? Yeah, I understand that objection. And you're right to say that it wouldn't have met with the approval of Democrats who happen to control the White House and the Senate. Yep. The end. Not going to get anything past that. If you want a compromise bill, you have to compromise. And yes, the wall is something that Donald Trump tried very hard to get that through the House during his term in, in office. And uh, Paul Ryan actually had a, uh, a rather comprehensive plan to establish something like a, a tax on remittances that would have funded something like that. But that was met with an objection. Then he actually attempted to declare a national emergency just to move the money around in order to construct as much. That was working, by the way. That was working. But he didn't get get it. But but he he didn't get it done. Years to do it. But but I'm pointing out the reality. You're not going to get it done. And in part because of Democratic opposition and Democratic opposition is still there. You're not going to get it. But the reality of a compromise is what, what Biden wanted was the Ukraine aid. A lot of it, 60 billion. And what the Republicans wanted was the wall. And the Democrats responded by saying, we get the 60 billion and you get some changes to asylum and other parts of the legislation that doesn't appeal to your base and they don't understand it. it it's just basic compromise requires that you get what you want. Some of it, the only thing that the Republicans really want is the wall. So there was never a compromise offered by Chris Murphy and it's not going to work for them to run around and say the border is the Republicans' fault. Do you think it's going to work? 
No, I don't think that's going to work. But I do think just to go back to the politics of it, that is an insane proposition. I do want to touch on that. But to go back to the politics of it a little bit, I've, I mean, I've been saying this for a while. Republicans have Democrats on the ropes here. The only reason why they got these statutory reforms, $20 billion for policing at the border, the um, the asylum changes, the judges and judges teams to address this backlog is because Democrats are desperate for Republicans to rescue them from the consequences of their own policies. This is a party that doesn't want to enforce immigration law. They don't want to do it. They want to be made to do it. And Republicans are, have them on the ropes. They're getting all the and Democrats need in crass political terms. They need Ukraine aid. They need border funding. They need all this more than Republicans do. So Republicans can ask the universe. It's like watching McClellan at Antietam. You have them on the ropes and you just let them go. You can yeah. get anything you want from these people to make them enforce the law. No, let's pause for a moment. You, know you use a you used an analogy from history, which will confuse our Pittsburgh listeners. McClellan did not <laughs> pursue the defeated Lee Confederate uh, over the river. They didn't chase him back to the Potomac. And so Lee withdrew in somewhat good order. And the war went on for three years. You're making my point. The Republicans want one big thing, the wall. Democrats must give them what they want. It was framed from the beginning wrong. I don't know if that was Senator Lankford's mistake or whether the Democrats just said, we're not going to give you the wall. So if you want to talk, that's it. And, and James went and got a whole bunch of stuff that made sense. But it wasn't the wall. So if you don't give us the wall, there's have no deal. Anybody, but you have you heard anybody saying, well, let's let's address this in the amendment process? I, yes, Lindsey Graham tried to. After, after, Lindsey Graham okay, tried well, to get an open amendment that. process. He's a lone wolf out there. Well, because they weren't going to have an open amendment process. And I have yet to hear Chris Murphy ask, would you have accepted the wall? And if Chris Murphy is asked, would you have accepted the wall and says, yes, I will blame the Republicans. But he, he wouldn't have because they can't because it's a Trumpist policy. Let me go to the national security bill. I am making a strong argument at Fox News today in my column on the air. Republicans have to vote for this. We've got to support Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan and the defense and industrial base. Do you think the Republicans will in the Senate at least? Um, most of them, but there will be a significant number of, Dem of Republicans who are bulk. And in part because, and I kind of hate the way that, uh, that political professionals use rhetoric in the way that they think they can change the terms of the debate. But it, it is kind of a misnomer to call this Ukraine aid, Taiwan aid. Most of this money doesn't leave the United States. Most of this money goes to our own arms manufacturers to export weapons and replenish our own stockpiles. We need a crash course in this country to rearm and, and, and refill our ordnance stocks. Uh, and this partly does that. Uh, most of that money that goes to Ukraine is in the form of weapons that we have and replenishing our own stockpiles. The same thing could be said for the Taiwan aid. The vast majority of that is just weapons and indeed money to give to Ukraine to purchase our own weapons. So none of this actually leaves the country. It's very, very valuable to say nothing of. And by the way, this, if this bill is exactly the way it was when it was just the security supplementals on top of the border supplementals, it defunds UNRWA. I mean, all this stuff is incredibly important for our national security priorities and for our, just the moral health of this country. I agree, um, and which is why I it should pass. I would be surprised, however, if it passes in its current form and is put to the House Republicans, the House Republicans go along with it. Well, I they think it's going to pass in the Senate. I mean, when you've got John Cornyn, Tom Cotton, Dan Sullivan, and it's drafted by Susan Collins, you've got left to right. You're going to get the 60 votes. It's going to go to the House. Then it's going to be up to the Speaker 
to either bring it to the floor without a rules committee vote, because he can't get past the Freedom Caucus people and the rules committee. If he does that, he may face a motion to vacate, which I hope he's willing to brave because it's in the best interest of the United States. What do you think he'll do? I don't think he will. I think I think he sits on it. It's too politically toxic for his side. And I have seen very little and very little indication that Speaker Johnson is willing to put his career on the line for these sort of things. We had a debacle in the House. Oh, yeah. Ever since the knucklehead caucus deposed McCarthy. But but the deal is, Noah, we've got I I mean, but but the failure to count the votes there is a is a is a um, sort of an an elementary level of competence that should make us reassess our priors. It was it was indeed a head fake that faked the Republicans into the stands and it was bad. It wasn't the end of the world. But losing this would be the end of the world because the party of Reagan has to remain the party of peace through strength or it loses its identity, doesn't it? Oh, I, I would certainly assign myself up to that one. And I think that uh, there's quite a few things that the Republican Party has sacrificed in terms of its identity with regards to uh, what, it, what it stood for in the late 20th century. It, there's its, its fear of free markets, its fear of uh, free trade, um, its hostility and suspicion towards our obligations to our allies and American hegemony generally uh, is a profoundly potent strain within a minor- minority, but a growing minority, of the Republican conference. And it's I a, just don't a, see the same passion on the Solzhenitsyn said of the Soviet Union, what if it's all paper mache? What if the isolationist wing of the Republican Party is paper mache? Poke a stick through it. We'll see. There are like 10 of them. I get it. There are 10 senators and 10, and, and 10 House members who hate Ukraine. I get it. Roll them over. Just roll them over because they don't speak for the party. Noah C. Rothman on X and at NationalReview.com. Thank you, Noah. I'll be right back. Let me check the uh, price of gold brought to you by AmericanFederal.com. They are the people you go to to buy gold. Nick Grovich and his team at 800-221-7694 sponsor the market report and the economic news of the day every day. And if you're going to buy gold, and you ought to have some gold in a diversified portfolio, I always have 5% of wealth in at least dirt and or gold. And then the rest in equities or savings or cash and diversify. I'm not a financial planner. I don't give financial advice, except if you're going to buy gold, just buying gold, not doing anything fancy, just buying gold. You just want to get an ounce, five ounces, a quarter ounce, a half ounce. You just want to buy a half ounce every six months or an ounce every month, whatever it is. You call Nick and his team at 800-221-7694. 800-221-7694. AmericanFederal.com. Israelis were dehumanized in the most horrific way on October 7th. The hostages have been dehumanized every day since. But that cannot be a license to dehumanize others. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. That was Secretary Blinken in Israel yesterday. Dr. Michael Oren, in the first hour of today's program, and I'll put it in today's podcast, outraged by those comments. I'm joined by Josh Kroshauer, editor-in-chief of Jewish Insider. Josh, what has been the reaction among your readers to what is Secretary Blinken's astonishing descent into moral equivalency? Yeah, Hugh. Well, we, we've covered those comments extensively. They, they were not received well in Israel. I, th- I think Michael Oren's comments, uh, which you talked to him about, uh, should be read. Um, it was a moral equivalence between uh, a democracy, a state fighting a war for its, frankly, it's for its very existence and its own security against a terrorist group. 
And, you know, if you look at the White House's own words uh, in the aftermath of October 7th, whether it was from Tony Blinken, President Biden, uh, they, they've said that Israel needs to win the war. They need to defeat Hamas. That That is the goal uh, in terms of both U.S. and Israeli strategy. Um, and if you're kind of offering these moral equivalencies, if you're, you're kind of hemming and hawing, as Blinken did in Israel yesterday, you know, he wasn't clearly saying that Israel needs to defeat Hamas. He's saying that, um, you know, that, that, you know, there's dehumanization on both sides. And when you when you kill Hamas terrorists, when there's civilians that are part of the collateral damage, that's as bad as what happened on October 7th when Hamas terrorized and brutalized uh, over 1,200 um, Israeli civilians in their in their homes. So, you know, it is it is sort of a, a moral it makes your jaw drop when you when you hear those comments. Now, I will say that in terms of the strategy, in terms of uh, the support for what what Israel's doing on the ground. The White House, you know, has been generally supportive and generally they've been saying a lot of things trying to appease their left wing base. I mean, by the way, Hugh, I, I think you've talked about this on the show, but they're, they're sending almost everyone uh, from the administration, it seems, to Michigan today to meet with uh, Muslim and Arab American leaders in the state because they're just worried about uh, the, the, the anti-Israel element of the party. They're worried about the far left. But look, that, that's not a way to win a war. That's not a way to support your allies. And, you know, trying to have it both ways, it's just not, it's not a good look for, for this administration, which has been generally pro-Israel in, in its position. Well, I, I have been predicting from day one that this was a matter of time because Joe Biden always gets it wrong on national security, and now he's getting it wrong. Dr. Oren made the point, and I agree with it, that we're going to see in the next filing from South Africa in the International Court of Justice Secretary Blinken being quoted as accusing Israel of dehumanizing Palestinians. It is a devastating blow to the Israeli case that it should be dismissed. And I do not think it was unintended, Josh. They intend to try and win Michigan, and they're counting on supporters of Israel in the United States not caring about what they say in Israel. I think that's a bad bet. Well, Hugh, look, they've been doing this for quite some time. This is the last time Tony Blinken was in Israel. He also had some of these moral equivalencies that a lot of Israelis were just sort of, again, outraged about. But ultimately, the policy didn't change. And, and, and the U.S. has generally been supportive of Israel's uh, war efforts, even though they kind of tweak them both at times publicly, but also behind the scenes. Look, political we, we, the political element is also very interesting, Hugh, because uh, Michigan is obviously the battleground state where you probably have uh, the most anti-Israel sentiment among the battlegrounds. You have a large Arab and Muslim American community. Uh, you also have a larger Jewish community in Michigan, for what it's worth. And those voters are also, I mean, if, if Biden did what a lot of people in the media have been counseling over the last couple of weeks and took on Israel, if you, if you hear more comments like Tony Blinken yesterday, you would have a lot of pro-Israel Democrats that would bolt the party and, and stay home or vote, their, you know, vote for no labels or, or uh, consider voting for Trump. So, you know, it goes both ways. In Pennsylvania, it's interesting. It's a bigger a bigger battleground. And that's a state where actually the, the, the public opinion is much more in favor of the pro-Israel position. And fr- frankly, overall, the Democratic Party uh, views, while, while they're divided, the majority is still supportive of Israel. So the, the notion that appeasing a very small left wing faction uh, is good po- political strategy seems to me very, very short-sighted and could do a whole lot more damage. As and, and now I want to go to the, uh, by, cor- by uh, correlate, corollary. The Republicans cannot cave into the anti-Ukraine people for the same reason the Democrats can't cave into the anti-Israel people, because it's not enough. The party is pro-Ukraine, pro-national security. 
an anti-any-border bill that didn't have a border wall, and you have to always end up with where the majority of your party is or you're going to destroy your party. One minute, Josh, to you. Yeah, I mean, you're... (laughs) I've heard the word a lot these days, horseshoe theory, where you have essentially the anti-war left taking sides with the neo-isolationist right. And it's I've never I mean, Tucker Carlson and, in, 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 you know, in Russia with with Putin uh, this week, it's kind of jaw dropping. Um, look, I, I actually think the politics, as you point out, Hugh, that there is a sizable majority. If you look at all the polls, uh, 55, 60 percent of Americans want to support Ukraine, want more aid to go into Ukraine. Uh, so it's it's a winning issue. It's just the the factions on the far right, a little bit on the far left that are speaking out against it. I think there's a decent chance that a military military aid package involving Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan could get through Congress. I think the House is the big question and whether Mike Johnson is willing to step up to the table and get his party behind him. I think he will. I think it's going to happen. I hope it happens. I wrote about it at Fox News today. Josh Kroshauer can be followed on X. At Josh Kroshauer, you can read Jewish Insider as well. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Harley. Thank you, Generalissimo. Thanks, all of you, for listening. I'll be back tomorrow on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. This is Dennis Prager. I am excited to announce the all-new PragerTopia Plus. You can listen to my show whenever it's convenient for you, all commercial-free and all on demand. Now with Prager Plus, search topics, guests, and segments all the way back to 2010. And now a truly exciting new benefit, my monthly online video get-together for PragerTopia Plus members only. This is where for an hour each month, PragerTopia Plus members get an exclusive chance to ask me anything. That's right, anything. It's on video. I'll be talking to you and answering your questions. We may even have a special guest every now and then. I've never done this. Submit your questions for me at PragerTopia.com. This is only available to PragerTopia Plus members. This is our chance to connect like never before. Go to PragerTopia.com or click the banner at DennisPrager.com.